0: be aimed at people your parents or grandparents age but that we just continue to
1: consume over and over again yeah no it is it is it has been weaponized it is like media heroin
2: well since we had uh, the, the member berries from oh sorry Go on nick
1: it's too late we gulfed it we gulfed it anyway, this, <laughs> this is because we're talking about uh media destroying your mind this I is guess we're watching big the Big Bang theory.
0: theory. We did
1: it together! Yes. Uh,
0: it's episode 100, and you and I are the pair of zeros. Uh, yes, you're
1: Nick, and I'm Kyle.
0: <laughs> and we have a special guest with us today. Introduce yourself, dear your guest.
2: Hi, I'm Logan. Last name withheld for privacy reasons.
0: <laughs> or is it? There was or, a big reveal before <laughs> the show, but we're not going to talk about it because maybe there's still some sort of semblance of privacy and secrecy here. But before we uh, get into the show itself, hi. Uh, you're listening to a podcast that discusses the television series, The Big Bang Theory. Sort of. I mean, we watch it. What more do you want? And today, we have a guest. <laughs> and, well, so I'm dropping my, <laughs> dropping a hard drive mid-sentence because I just playing with a hard drive for no reason. But yes, we have a guest with us today. Uh, Kyle, Kyle's invited along uh, another dear nerd. And, uh, Logan, something that I always do when we have a new guest is we have to establish minimum nerd credentials uh not necessarily in a gatekeepy way but just in a well i'll start with this why do you think you're a nerd or do you think you're a nerd
2: yeah i think i think uh it would be fair to call me a nerd i guess i i think of myself as that kind of nerd that is uh i guess granted entry into nerddom by dint of taking ostensibly frivolous things very seriously Um, but I, I hope that I do that in a way that isn't, uh, gatekeepy or exclusionary or anything like that. So like Star Trek is a good, is a good example. Like I've, I've devoted, I think a a significant portion of my life to like watching and reading and thinking about, uh, Star Trek, um, hopefully in service of being a better person, but certainly like much, much over and above what the average person would do for a television show, I guess. Uh, certainly certainly a television show such as such as the big bang theory which i'm convinced makes you a worse person for watching it
0: i well so something also audience like i mentioned the 100th episode and logan this might be uh difficult for you unless you've watched a lot of the show in your in your personal life but kyle quick check-in we've been doing this almost four years now are we worse people like my gut says yes I, I can't think of specific reasons, but like Logan brought this idea up, and I was like, "Well, obviously, <laughs> like that's like I, I feel less less whole than I did because when we started recording this, I had like a little twinkle in my eye, like this will be a fun little adventure, and now I'm like in the trenches, and I've got the thousand yard stare, and I feel like I've not gained anything from this. But how how do you feel, Kyle?
1: Well, that's i all be so I I think that I am manifestly both worse and happier for watching the big bang theory. So I would equate it much, you know, much in the same way to any form of of negative cultural influence, much like the much like the titular call of Cthulhu which lures its worshippers to a certain kind of divine madness that destroys their destroys their conventional bourgeois morality but in turn frees them to lead their decadent lives to the fullest. I have become a monster, a a selfish hedonistic bastard, but I live more comfortably with myself now than when I thought that, you know, good and evil were real concepts in the world, not just, uh, not just things put on this planet to cow the masses.
0: I think what you're trying to say at its heart, though, is that you have wood for sheep. Is that right? (laughs) Oh, God.
2: Oh, God. <laughs> okay.
0: Now, now that we're all groaning again, uh, let's let's do our short episode summary,
2: oh. <laughs> and then we'll,
0: then we'll revisit this this horrible feeling we all just had. So, uh, intrepid listeners, today's episode was season five, episode thirteen, the recombination hypothesis—a name frustratingly appropriate. And I think I, I have started. I'm, I'm making it a trend now, front loading my review of the episode. On a scale of one out of thirteen, this week's gets an. Uh, so, <laughs> Kyle, I don't know if you want to add your own rating, but that's that's mine today. <laughs> uh,
1: I can't make that noise you just made. I'd give it. I'd say this was a middling. To me, this was, and I I will say this without getting in the way of your summary. This was like a paradigmatic episode of The Big Bang Theory, in which it had like random pop culture references a a the introduction of a popular semi-popular like nerd pastime used only for the purpose of making the the most infantile dick jokes on the planet mm-hmm. for way longer than it could have conceivably been funny even if it was initially <sighs> funny and then combined with, you know, with the core, what was originally the core premise of the show, which is like the eternal will-they-won't-they they of the two, two of the main characters.
0: Right. Well, and before we move on, I, I, I realized I got ahead of myself, Logan. So,
1: six out of 12.
0: Six out of 12? All right. <laughs> uh, the, and then,
1: this is the middlest Big Bang Theory episode you could conceivably have.
0: And then, Logan, I was going to ask you your feelings, but I, I realized I forgot to ask you... What your experience with the Big Bang Theory is like? Have you actually watched any of this before today's episode, or what's it? What's your deal?
2: <clears throat> well, yeah. So i uh, I have watched, including this episode. I think three and a half episodes of The Big Bang Theory. The first one that I watched was at my partner's mother's behest. She's a big fan, um, and she thought one year the Halloween episode was just the funniest. And my partner and I, we had to take her word for it because the, as I remember the premise of that episode, again, this is the first episode of the Big Bang Theory I'd ever seen, was that everybody dresses up like everybody else. And it's funny to watch like uh, Leonard pretend to be Sheldon or something. So Um, you were treated to a
0: series of in jokes and that was...
2: (laughs) Boy, this exactly. Is a great so, introduction
1: I... to the series. <laughs> if you didn't get it, yeah, before, it was you'll definitely get it now.
2: <laughs> it was uh, it was very confusing. The second episode that I watched. So now now is as good as time as any to say that uh, I have I have been listening to this podcast that I am currently on. Having, I guess, feelings of being starstruck. I guess I've listened to every episode. I remember one of the early episodes. I think featured discussion of. Just how mean all of the other characters were to Sheldon. Mm -hmm. And the episode, I think, ends with leaving him literally hanging at a rock climbing gym. Nick and Kyle, your discussion of that seemed just so wildly implausible in its cruelty that I I had to go watch (laughs) the episode myself and... Boy, you were not kidding. It's just... It, they're mean. They're just really uh, mean. I, I
0: can't tell you how affirming it is to hear you say that we just don't have a shared <laughs> insanity. That, like, you're watching from the outside and you're like, it's really happening! <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I just... I I really thought you were overplaying it, but nope. It just... Wow. Yeah. that So that was horrible. Um, I then... So I watched today's episode, which was the third, and then... Uh, catching up i listened to uh the last episode of this podcast and it, as, i'm sure we'll get into the laugh track um because that's like 90 percent of my notes it's um, intense but, in this
0: episode go ahead sir yeah
2: y- yes i I'm, I'm glad that you think so because i thought so too i i watched like half of the prior episode just to try and get a baseline to remind myself of like what a normal laugh track is supposed to be for for such a show. But yeah, that, that is my entire experience with the Big Bang Theory. God help me.
0: And and this episode, I think I've adopted myself the 13-star rating. Kyle just went to 12 in a surprising twist. How would you because rate I needed it on... a
1: prime. I needed a round number, you prime number using bastard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if, if we're calling six a round number, then really reality has been torn apart. But I'm going to move past it. I guess it's literally round. But anyway,
2: yeah, six is pretty curvy.
0: Yeah, that's that's what I've always said. It's the thickest
2: number. <laughs> um. uh, yeah, I I would say I'll choose a rating scale of five, and of the Big Bang episodes, uh, Big Bang Theory episodes that I've seen, this is by far the best. So I'm going to say five stars. This is the perfect, Whoa. the perfect Big Bang Theory episode.
0: So we, we're all over the map on this. Let's let's figure out why. So today, short summary. Uh, Last week, I turned myself inside out trying to explain all the plot happenings. This week, surprisingly straightforward. It's uh, Sheldon and Leonard are walking up the stairs, uh, chatting as they sometimes do. And as they're walking into their apartment, Sheldon gets distracted because his life-size cutout of uh, Mr. Spock has arrived. It's revealed soon that it was the, the Zachary Quinto version and he, and he gets very upset about that. But in this moment, Leonard looks into Penny's open apartment door where she's hanging out with the other two ladies and he finds himself transfixed. And, uh, he ends up going over, uh, asking her out on a date and, uh, confirming, no, like a real date. Like I want to take you on a date. They go on a date. It's miserable. Uh, they both go home. Leonard's, uh, upset and, and, uh, downtrodden. But, uh, in the night, he gets a booty call from Penny. And so he goes over and they, they have sex And then they, they do, uh, the thing where this, I think maybe part of the reason I didn't like this episode is a lot of this. I was like, oh, these are all amateur missteps. These are bad relationship problems. I hate all of this. But they, uh, they, they hook up and they're like, hey, let's just be sex pals for now. We won't be open about our new relationship because, you know, we we just want to be chill about this. We Well, you know, we're going to try new... Uh, oh, God, I hate it. Like Leonard describes it as relationship 2.0 and I want to throw a big brick at the screen. But so anyway, they do that. And then um, <laughs> the next night, everyone goes to dinner at the uh, alleged cheesecake factory and Leonard <laughs> and Penny immediately get into a spat, go home frustrated, and then they end up having another booty call the only B plot at all in this episode is that the the dude nerds left without anything better to do are playing Settlers of Catan, which anyone who has ever even heard the phrase Catan, even in just the biblical sense, I think, probably has made enough sheep for wood jokes from multiple lifetimes, and they they quadruple down on it in this episode. But that's it. That they they play Settlers of Catan. That's the B plot. After Leonard and Penny's relationship once again falls apart, what's this? We, we're, we're brought back to the opening scene. Sh- Sheldon's still mad about his Zachary Quinto Cut, cut, cut out. This was, it was all a dream. All of this frustration and anxiety and stupidity was a dream. Um, and then Leonard goes over and I don't even remember because I think I was still mad. I think he actually asks her out again. And there's like, yeah, hey, let's try it, whatever. I don't care. And the episode's over and I hate it. I hate it. Uh, we can talk more about it, but those are the basic plot points. I hated it. I hate it. You guys, <laughs> open up. Anyone else talk. <laughs>
1: uh, so, I think technically uh, it was less a dream and more of a, a fantastical digression a la an occurrence at Alcreek Ridge or Br- the movie Brazil. By yeah, Jerry I, I should clarify.
0: At, at no point does like, Leonard get bonked on the head and pass out and this happens. He is, yeah, it is, uh, it, is a, it is a flight of fancy.
2: But anyway, sorry. Well, yeah, I, I assumed it was it was just one of the innumerable scenarios that he has mapped out in his head before he goes up and asks Penny in real life. Right.
0: Yeah. Like this is this is the one time we see into what is happening. But this is like the trillionth iteration of what's constantly going through his mind. We, we we get one second inside of Leonard's brain, and for me, it was horribly unpleasant. Um, well, and I'll I'll jump into something specific that really frustrated me, and it's played as a joke twice, which is after Leonard asks Penny out on this established, real I want to go back out with you date. Uh, in two separate conversations, the the ladies and the the, the boys both ask. Why did that happen? Like, why, why is he doing that again? That didn't work. And I was, like, screaming out, You're right! Why did it? It shouldn't have happened! It's like, I didn't understand why, like, all of a sudden, Leonard, just without any provocation or without anything in previous episode leading up to this, is just like, I'm going to try it again with Penny, and I want to be real serious about it, and however it happens, we're going to make it work, work this time. Like, I, I'm not saying that those characters wouldn't ever do that, but the fact that it was, like, a fantasy at the end of the episode, to me, was the only explanation for why Leonard took made the choices he did. Because it all seemed so intensely, like, it not necessarily out of character, but displaced from the events that have happened for the whole rest of this season, I guess. Yes. And then to have it not be a real thing again, it's like, oh, so it was, like, a filler episode, or maybe this is the intro to where he does start seriously pursuing her again, but... I don't know. It's just that I was very confused and frustrated by the relationship drama.
1: So, I will go ahead and I will... I'm not going to, like, try and justify... But there are, I think it's all... I can... This episode makes perfect sense to me, but only from a meta-textual level. Meaning, I think all of your criticisms are right that they didn't build up to it correctly, but I still think there's a couple of interesting things that are happening here. The first is that, obviously, what's really going on is they hit their 100th episode. They were like, ah... Oh, I guess people expect us to get kind of the main plot of this show back on track, Mm. which you could argue was never really (laughs) the... Like, was it ever really that compelling a plot? But it's sort of like... You could imagine, like, on Friends, right? Like, every now and then they'd be like, oh, Rouse and Rachel. Wasn't the whole original point of this show supposed to be that they would get together at some point? We haven't really brought that Mm. up in a while. Let's remind people that that's important. And so it's the 100th episode, so they have to do that. But actually, I thought... They were doing a couple of very specific things that all, oh, you're right, had nothing, had no prior setup, but who cares, the show's lazy. But were actually carefully constructed within the episode itself to get us to root for, basically to make the relationship seem more plausible and stable in the long term than it has ever seemed before. Hmm. So, they, they, The first thing they have is they have the dinner sequence where all of a sudden, maybe this is subjective, but I thought they had Leonard being actually charming and witty and funny on a date for possibly the first time in this entire series. That was
0: absolutely subjective because I think that is what they were going for. And that is when my notes started turning into all capital letters, (laughs) just as how much I hate Leonard just as a person. But sorry, continue.
1: So you hated that, but the very least they were trying to portray in every prior iteration of their relationship leonard's relationship to penny has been uh has been characterized by his total lack of confidence right his deep insecurities which undercut his ability to plausibly believe that he could be her girlfriend and so what the dinner scene gets us is oh this is how if they had met And if he had presented himself with any kind of confidence that they were equals, this is how that might have played out believably and you could see them sort of getting together, which I think is an important step. And at the end of the episode, why it's the part where it's revealed to be all a dream is also a way of managing audience expectations. It's basically saying... Uh, because Leonard realizes that even in his dream scenario, he can't see a way in which the, this relationship is actually plausible, but he decides to go for it anyway. And isn't that brave? Isn't Leonard the plucky underdog deciding he believes in love no matter what's going to happen? Shouldn't we root for that, even if the whole thing of him trying to score with his hot blonde neighbor who he's failed with multiple times is, if you actually watch the whole show up to this point, a terrible idea? It reminds me, I watched this great essay... Um, that was about the the first Avengers movie, and it points out that there's a subtle rhetorical trick in that movie where the bad guy, Loki, his whole point, his, he's literally aligned in that film. His main theme or point is that there's no way you guys will ever work as a team. Uh, you can't beat me because the idea of you as a team is silly and horrible. And why that's important is is because then if you're an audience member who was thinking about how silly the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe was, suddenly, if you want to root against the bad guy in the movie, you have to root for the entire idea of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because it's like... It's like, oh, you don't think it makes sense for Iron Man and Thor and Captain America and the Hulk to be hanging out and fighting evil together? What are you, Loki, this guy who in this particular film is more evil than in any other film he's ever been with and plucking out people's eyeballs and making direct comparisons to Hitler and, you know, making misogynist comments to the Black Widow? Is that who you really want to identify with? So similarly in this, they're like, oh, what, audience, are you so cynical that you can't see Leonard trying to overcome his deep-set fears and his, you know, cold and methodical calculations and just going for it anyway? Do you not believe in love? I think that's what they're trying to go for, whether it works or not.
2: Hmm. Hmm. Do we have a fourth Mm. guest? Oh, yeah, sorry. That's uh, Amaretta, my cat. She had some serious reactions to Leonard, but she's keeping her own counsel. I'll let you know if that. she communicates to me in a way that can be understood by humans. Yeah, I gotta say, the I think I, I ended up having both of your reactions to the the date scene. Which sorry, for the record, I think in going back over my notes, I wasn't sure if that was also supposed to be the Cheesecake Factory. Or if it was a nicer place, like...
0: I. So I think it was supposed to be a nicer place, but I'm not ruling out okay. that they used the same set.
2: <laughs> I just... I think it's been probably a decade and a half since I was in the vicinity of a cheesecake factory, and I didn't remember little breadsticks and wine, but, I mean, who knows. Well, they also um, don't look
1: like the place they normally eat, which is called a cheesecake <laughs> factory, which looks like generic restaurant the restaurant Mm -hmm. and yet cheesecake factory somehow lets them get away with calling it a cheesecake factory, despite the fact that it makes all cheesecake factories look very boring.
2: Indeed. Indeed. But yeah, I was going to say, so I thought like on the first go through, um, I think I had closer to Nick's reaction to it. Like, yes, obviously the, like based on the, the audience cues and like, again, not knowing a lot about Leonard, not having like experienced this character except I guess sort of second hand through your guys' recounting of it. He seemed, without all of that additional context around him, like, yeah, actually, kind of like the the idea to make this sec this like second first date less awkward by pretending it was a first date was, I think, you know, sort of inspired and He seems to like it seems like they want us to be rooting for him, but on the other hand, like it is just terribly written and he's doing a bad job of it. I think where it becomes really interesting for me though is like to imagine that this this recreation that he's doing, right, has him for his date with Penny pretending to have that interaction be something that it's not. So he's pretending to pretend to be something else right? It. I think it's yeah. just interesting that like he sort of falls into his own little recursive loop there and if you I feel like if the writers were better and they wanted to do like a more serious look at this you could get into something really interesting about like I don't know identity or uh, how we reconstruct the future from the past or something like that. Of course they don't go there but it was at least like Leonard it was Potter a lot more yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like it was, it had the seeds of being a lot more interesting than it actually was, which was not what I was expecting. The bar was so low that like, <laughs> that, that alone was like, oh, yeah, this is actually really good, I assume.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm gonna make a hard turn here, because it's burning in the back of my mind. We can go back to more serious relationship stuff. But uh, I want to explore a little bit our... N- combined misery at the Settlers of Kitan scenes <laughs> Because I'm going to say I'm mad at myself for being mad because, uh, well, I, And I'll just Explain real quick uh, So I think we all agree The jokes are overplayed Tired old garbage And it's like a one thing they do a hundred times But I think the reason I'm mad at myself Is that uh, The reason I'm so annoyed seeing them do this Is that I too have been in one of those groups where everyone is joking about wood for sheep. And the only reason it upsets me now is because I've had like 10 or 15 years to sit on that person I once was, and I had to confront him again today through these nerds. But I don't know. Tell me your feelings. I I got all worked up about the horrible Catan boner
2: puns. Man, yeah, that's deep. I like that. That explains... I think I had pretty much the same reaction. Like in my notes, I, I actually put like, yes every time i played Catan in high school like this is that was the joke that we would make so can i write for the big bang theory now like i think what really what really burned me up about it was as you say like recognizing i don't know the kind of inferior like low quality human that was but then also <laughs> to see them in an elevated position like this is what passes for television like if i had gotten lucky like i could the person I was in high school, I could pretend to be them on stage in front of cameras and, like, make a lot of money. Like, that just – oh, boy. That that burns yeah. me up. <laughs> uh, a, a medium
1: six-figure salary just for making the same dick joke eight times in a row with slightly <laughs> different phrasing.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think, too, what also – what I think especially motivated my, my comment that, like, watching this makes you a worse person – like in those scenes, to have Raj and the uh, Wallowitz, nice. the the guy who lives with his mother, yeah, um, like to have them laughing so uproariously, and to have the audience laughing so uproariously, like yeah. equates the audience with these two. I think the worst characters in the entire show. Well, and I, <laughs> I want to clarify that's bad Like this
0: roaring laughter, like way above the normal. Fan like uh, laugh. I keep saying laugh track, live audience reaction. Like they they ate this shit up.
2: Yeah, I and I don't. I I can't. I don't know why. Like because exactly as you say, it's like the fifth, the same joke repeated five or six times. Like credit where credits due. I don't think me or my friends ever came up with like I'm I'm having an erection like as yeah. a as a, as a joke on this like that at least was innovative but the rest was like oh man really this that's this is what's so funny to you i don't get it
0: i think yeah. also i'm thinking settlers of catan <laughs> maybe like the last board game i regularly played which i'm fine with i think i went through a, i think a fairly intense board game period before I remembered that, uh, playing games by myself. Is-
1: yeah. I hate Settlers of Catan with the passion. So I just, I was, I was, I, I was not on their side the second the game showed up. And then like the longer it went on, I was like, Oh Jesus, it's still happening. Oh,
0: and also this is probably totally unnecessary, but for like the 5% of people who have no idea what we're talking about somehow, uh, Settlers of Catan was an immensely popular board game, at least as popular as board games get where, uh, you are a, a group of evil colonizers and uh, you're, you're fighting over limited resources, each trying to set up your own little settlements. And so when you're trading resources, those resources include wood and sheep. And Heaven Wood for Sheep is just the funniest thing anyone can ever say 17 times every time you play. So...
2: Ah. I, I will also say that scene particularly... Well, Honestly, I got sucked into this vortex, I think, right from the first line that Sheldon said. But the the Catan scene particularly, like, I really empathize now with I think a move that I have seen you, Nick and Kyle, like fall into a bunch of times on this podcast, where it's like intellectually, you recognize that like getting getting all pissed off and uh, upset about some inaccuracy in what's going on in like the nerd culture references. Like that's kind of playing into the hand of being the stereotype that is being made fun of. And yet it seems like there, there are times when it's just so outrageous, you can't help yourself. I I'm currently like in a really pretty heavy board games phase. So like, despite like every part of my conscious control being like no don't do this don't do this i had to go back and confirm for myself that like they're not playing catan right like <laughs> the <laughs> between the first scene where the board is and the second scene where the board is like nothing gets added except another road that sheldon built neither wallowitz or raj have built anything like the, the role that Sheldon does, again, I went way too into this. The role he did, I think he gets like a seven, and he picks up a resource. He has no settlements near uh, a resource with a seven on it. That was an illegal move. and How does he have so many cards in his hand? Lots of questions, no answers. Very frustrating.
0: Well, I'm glad right. we found multiple levels of frustration in this one. <laughs> series of throwaway goofs. It's a layered well, show that way. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and also because the thing I hate, the other thing I hate about these nerd digressions they go on is they never tie any meaningful way into the main plot. Like you, it always feels like they just have a whiteboard with, and on it is written like shit for the nerds to do when we don't have anything else for them to do. And it's like play on the Wii, play whatever the random board game we just googled is the most popular board game is. Watch, and then it's just a random list of obscure movies. From the 80s and 90s that have cult credit. And it's just like... You never actually either learn anything about them and those are I guess we've talked about this before. But like whenever community does a nerd digression, it's always actually... Mm. What's cool about those is that those digressions are thematically connected to the show. So like if the episode is talking about Star Wars... It's actually commentary on how these characters loving Star Wars affects the way that they're relating to whatever the main drama in the episode is.
0: Yeah, and, you know, to call it a B plot in this episode is, is a lie. Yeah, it's because there's no <laughs> lie. It is just, it's just a few scenes of them playing Katan, like you said, just to have stuff to do. And if this were a better show, yeah, even, even them playing that would somehow supplement or parallel what's happening in the main plot. Uh, Right, like,
1: even if you just had one conversation, like, Sheldon could just have, like, one line where he's like, you know, Leonard, sometimes it seems like asymmetrical trades are a bad idea because you're giving more to the other person than you're really getting in return. But that's really only short-term thinking. If you think in the long term, sometimes it's okay if you open yourself and leave yourself vulnerable and give yourself more and don't get back as much right away. Because it will all pay off in the end. Because Sellers of Catan, even though it appears competitive, is actually a cooperative Mm -hmm. enterprise between you and the other person. Which isn't actually true about Sellers of Catan. But if they tried to say that, at the very least something, you know... Emotional. There would be an emotional connection between what they're doing right. and what's going on in the episode.
0: And then they could end with somebody saying, hmm, well, looks like uh, no matter what we do, though, Leonard's going to have wood for Penny. And then Wallowitz and Raj both solemnly agree that they do as well. Sheldon doesn't understand what's <laughs> happening. But then he gets a frustrated text from Amy, who somehow psychically heard what was happening because she's so goddamn horny all the time. Uh, but that's not what we got. So... <laughs>
1: Also, as long as we're talking about canonical things that uh, annoyed us, at some point, I mean, I know what happened. What happened is everybody went from being kind of okay with the Star Trek reboots to realizing that they hated them. Because people don't remember this, but there was a brief moment when the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie came out. When nerds were split, it was, they were never like universally embraced, but people were like, well, maybe this movie isn't so bad. And then like, Into Darkness came out, and it was so terrible that it like retroactively destroyed the prior movie's reputation, too. Something very similar is going on right now between uh, The Rise of Skywalker and The Force Awakens, but that's neither here nor there. My point is that Sheldon has said in the past on the show that he liked Zachary Kinto's. Spock. So I, then,
0: don't, I, I don't, don't really know. Yeah. but I was surprised uh, how annoyed he was with the Zachary Quinto Spock because, like you said, uh, it was split at the time that movie came out. I remember because I don't have a strong attachment to Star Trek, be- Star Trek being <laughs> Star Trek uh, to being on the. Uh, I was on the, the favorable side of it, but it it really was. I think. Generally well received, and that and some nerds did like it, and his his strong distaste for it was was surprising. Uh, though, yeah, in in retrospect, it has been destroyed.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I think everybody, nobody likes those. Na- well, I'll I'll defer to the to the preeminent Trek scholar in the room.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I think with by the time that you get to uh, Benedict Cumberbatch playing Khan and being just like. Let's have a fist fight as the climax of the movie. Like yeah. we've we've well left the left the plot behind. <laughs> yeah, Although I so- will say, oh, sorry, go. No, please. Well, I I sort of had to kick myself at the end of the episode because I I forgot one of the golden rules that I have learned from listening to this podcast, namely as you say that like the B plots are not really B plots. I really thought and I spent considerable mental effort trying to come up with some reason why like to connect the fact that Sheldon has ordered a life-size cutout of Spock played by Leonard Nimoy. And yet he gets the wrong Spock. I was trying to connect that thematically or narratively or metaphysically somehow <laughs> to the whole plot involving Leonard. Like the, the, way of the Leonard slogan. that we see. <laughs> Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I I went fully crazy and uh, only recently recovered from it. So that was rough.
1: <laughs> yes, I I get that. I do that all the time and it never works. But well, yeah, I was mostly just I, I looked up the quote. There was a quote prior where basically Leonard says, "You know, you're always so scared of change, but you you have changed your mind sometimes." Remember. Zachary Quinto, and Sheldon goes, "I'm so tired of you throwing in my face the fact that I actually liked Zachary Quinto and Star Trek more than I thought I was going to, mm. and somehow we get from there to here and I know what happened. what happened is is they Googled it and they realized that actually someone like Sheldon would never like appreciate Zachary Quinto in that in that role, but You know, again, it's just randomly, you know, just one thing blatantly contradicting another thing and expecting no one to notice because no one cares enough, including the writers.
0: I also, I want to get meta self-reflective, I guess. Uh, I like, Logan, how you were tempted to take something that happened in the show and, and put it into a larger narrative framework where I think that was what Kyle and I did a lot more when we started the show and I think we both just got worn down I think you, you, you know, you've got a big bag of random puzzle pieces and at some point you have to accept you accidentally had a bag of a thousand different puzzles and like, trying
1: to get them to fit together, it's like, I, they're in the same bag, I don't know why,
0: but it's, it's just a mess uh, Yeah, I, that I, is
1: what I mean by the, by the big bang theory has made me a both a happier and a worse person thing, because just grappling with it has just made me realize that you can't you can't presume intentionality or competence of everything. There are things <laughs> in the world. That, why do why do, bridges, why do bridges collapse? It's no. There's no. Moral, There's no structural... You can tell us... But the bridge collapsed because, you know, people just didn't give enough of a shit. Why is our criminal... Actually, in this way, the Big Bang Theory is very much like the show The Wire. Not in any sense of how competent either of them is, but in The Wire, much how large-scale failure is often explained as a thousand individual choices not lining up to the proper incentives to get anything done... Similar to how that results in the Baltimore school and criminal justice systems uh, constantly turning out bad outcome after bad outcome, <laughs> similarly, that just produces bad episode after bad episode of the Big Bang Theory.
0: <laughs> I almost want to like earnestly recommend The Wire now, just because I'm thinking about it. But... <laughs> So. I can see
1: you can see an episode of The Wire, right, where it's just like the new writer in the room who comes in. I'm sorry, I mean an episode that would fit in the universe of The Wire, but it was about the writing room of The Big Bang Theory, where a new writer comes in. He's like, <laughs> "Oh man, this is gonna be my springboard to so many new things," and oh. then he sits down across from like the fat. Tired old TV writer who's been there since nineteen seventy yeah. and is asleep at at asleep at the start of the episode and they wake him up, he's like, Listen, kid, your job is to <laughs> sit in this chair, you write dick jokes until the day you can take your writers' Guild of America pension, mm-hmm. move to Bahama. That's a good life. There's nothing to be ashamed of with that
0: life. Here's a text document for you. It. It's got a thousand different Sheldon liners, one liners. Every episode, you pick two. So I can't even open it. It's in word perfect format. I wrote it years ago, kid. Get with the times.
2: <laughs> I love the the like dark implication of all of this. That like the Big Bang Theory just itself. Is an atrocity perpetuated against humanity, like, on par with or of the same kind as, like, the American criminal justice system and the war on drugs?
0: (laughs) I spend about as much time being upset about both of them.
2: (laughs) 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 Oh, God. I mean,
0: what that says about my role as a lawyer, you know, is concerning. (laughs) (laughs)
2: It's. (laughs) Oh, man. This, this discussion has really, I think, I, I understand now why, Nick, your, your rating was so, uh, I, both negative and I guess primal. Um, <laughs> because I guess in, in reflecting on like where you could go in interesting directions from this, like, it was interesting to me that, uh, Leonard, like, the one scene that we see twice in the real world and in his, like, hypothetical sketch of it, interestingly, he gets, I'm gonna mess up the names here. Uh, Amy Fairfowler and the Blonde Psychopath. Oh, Bernadette! Uh,
0: but you named Amy. Bernadette you, you nailed
1: Amy Fairfowler.
2: Yeah, I think just because Sheldon said her full name in the episode and it it stuck in my head. Um, he
1: a very he gets, vengeful person with weapon with access to weaponized smallpox. Probably <laughs> my favorite line in the episode.
2: <laughs> yeah, and like delivered pretty well too. Like I'm I was a little afraid. Anyway, Leonard gets, like, their interactions with Penny, like, he exactly inverts them, right? In his own uh, recollection, in his own, like, mapping out how that conversation would go as he imagines it. Right. It's Bernadette saying, oh, then we'd be able to go on double dates, and Amy being like, oh, why can't you go on dates with us? Anyway, like, that, the fact that he's wrong about that, if we cared about characters and if there was any kind of continuity... That would be an interesting thing, I think, about like how he's wrong about his friend group, but i I gather that that is not something we were supposed to pick up on, and <laughs> there I'm will so be no reward did, for having remembered that
0: <laughs> if you can find any any sort of nuance or meaning in this crazy old ding dang dong show you've you've done a good job uh, <laughs> well, and I'm tempted to end on. That no, unless there's anything else that we want to get into before we move on to recommendations.
1: I have so I would like. Here's what I would like. I would like to ask Donuts. Logan if he has any observation observations about. Or I just want to ask Logan because this is not just the show's 100th episode. This is our 100th episode. So as you had mentioned before, Logan, you had uh, you have listened to every episode of the show, which is pretty amazing because actually. Nick has because he has to edit them. I have definitely not listened to every episode <laughs> of this podcast. Why in God's name would I? Um, well, and,
0: and to clarify, <laughs> I never listen to them post-publishing. I listen to them, you know, once or twice while editing at, at two times speed. And so I, I think we're pretty entertaining when we take half as long to discuss things as we do to the real world. That's, that's nice.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so I was just wondering what that experience has been like for you
2: Yeah, so it's a, it's a great question. And I don't know that I will be able to do it justice. But I think, sort of as we've discussed already today, like, there is, it seems like you guys definitely go through cycles of optimism and despair. (laughs) (laughs) Like, (laughs) so it's, it's interesting, like, being along for that ride of like, yes, I'm I am sure that these two like, smart, like thoughtful fellows can make sense of like, whatever nonsense is going on here. And then to see you like dip down into like, well, no, there's there's absolutely no explanation for it. And I feel like, I don't know if this is just like, uh, personal to you guys as you like sit down every two weeks to record these episodes, like watch the, watch the episodes and then record. Or if there is actually something primarily going on in the writing, but I feel like it is actually a pretty good cycle. Like the, the vacillation between like, this is, this is the most awful thing ever. Why are, why do we continue to do this versus like, no, actually this episode had some like things that aren't like, they're never good things, but they're like, (laughs) interesting to talk about you know
0: (laughs) this is crazy to hear from you because you know i don't doubt uh that there's this uh this this wavelength that we're we're dipping in and out of but i think with me being caught up in it i'm completely unaware of it it's like i don't notice patterns all i notice is whether or not i'm annoyed (laughs) that's that's as much as i think about uh, the the trajectory is. I can only live in the moment of how mad I am at just what I saw, and then always feel a little bit of suspicion when it's good because then I'm like, do I like this because I've just gone through so many bad episodes, or was this actually a decent episode? I never know. But
2: that 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 really, to me, is I think my favorite part of. Uh, the podcast, just, like, generally speaking, those moments where you guys get into, like, uh, like, the sort of confrontation with yourself, either as you, like, see it reflected in the characters and their behavior. Like, early on, there's some great moments of that, which, like, I particularly enjoyed. When it was, when you're, like, working toward assembling the theory of, like, oh, wait, hold on. These, like, nerds, the reason that they annoy us is because they are in some important way, like a good recreation of the essence of what it is to be a nerd. So it annoys us to see like the truth paraded around and that that's like uncomfortable to confront like those moments. But then also like what you just said, Nick of like going, going along and having your own artistic sensibility shaped and possibly dulled by (laughs) Episode after episode of this horrible thing, and then having to like sit back and think, "Oh no, I liked, I liked that." What, <laughs> what has happened to me? Like that. That's that's great stuff. I think.
0: <laughs> well, you just remind me something um tangentially related, which is this other podcast I listen to called Know Your Enemy, which is it's not a comedy podcast. It's well, it's kind of funny, but it's mostly it's it's two leftists trying to seriously explore. Uh, conservative movements. And uh, one thing that they talked about on a recent episode is people on the left sometimes being afraid of examining history of different conservative positions or lines of argument or anything for fear of being contaminated by it. Uh, And now that we're talking about this, I'm worrying to what extent I've been contaminated by the big bang theory, how much, how much of it is inside of me now? Uh, except also, their conclusion on the other show is that that just doesn't happen. Neither of them feel they're any more conservative for, for all the research they've done. But I don't know. I feel like maybe I have become a bit more like Sheldon. Or at least recognize the Sheldon-ness that was already inside of me. So,
2: ugh. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta say, for my money, I... I would imagine that the two of you, by by virtue of discussing the episodes and actually, like, e- even when it's only, like, five minutes, <laughs> like, trying to talk through them, like, that seems to me like it has to mitigate a significant portion of the damage that each episode could do, because it <laughs> stops you, like, it forces you to be conscious about, like, what is this drivel, like, doing to my soul, more or less, but I yeah, I I would totally believe that like what what makes me worried about like how popular this was when it was out and how I guess it still remains pretty popular. Like
0: Yeah. I, I tried to get that, a like, second to the people final episode recording didn't work out, but <laughs> so hey, <laughs> <laughs> It was yeah, popular right. then
2: for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but like yeah, it it worries me, I guess, that there are there's a, a, a substantial portion of the audience out there just watching this and not thinking about it. Like that kind of seems dangerous, but I guess as as Kyle could expect, I'm that, that probably evinces a certain, like uh, maybe uh conservative or like classical understanding of what art does to a person that maybe, I don't know, pegs me as, objectionable or something
1: <laughs> well that it's just yeah so without getting too deep in the weeds i logan and i one of the reasons why we're friends and we have a long background together we we both have sort of the same i guess i'll call it training which is we went to school and we were taught to look at like texts as like you know basically whatever the whatever book you're reading in the moment, you treat it like, you know, it's the post-apocalypse and you have to use this one thing to like rebuild all of humanity from. So you take it very seriously. Uh, Arguably, I've been told too seriously sometimes, even when I'm talking about books that have a lot more, or works that have a lot more artistic or philosophical merit than the Big Bang Theory. But I do wonder... Well, I don't wonder. I I know that the the people who make this show and probably a lot of people who would watch it would say that we're the ones who are doing the perversity. Like, the show is not designed to hold up to scrutiny. It is designed to be watched and then immediately forgotten about. And as long as it has done that, as long as you didn't hate it while you were watching it, the fact that you hate thinking about it afterwards is not actually a critique of the quality of the show.
0: Yeah, you're right. Like and I've I've talked about well, we've talked about this before, where I I've worried that I'm I'm holding the show up to an unfair standard and that I would enjoy it more if I could just like let go and just like let it wash over me. But I mm. think it's clear that I and I don't know you that well, Logan, but I think of the three of us, uh not not one of us has that kind of instinct to just be like, Ah, I'm just going to <laughs> dip into this this, this big bang pool and enjoy it and then move on without thinking. It'll just be a nice little jaunt without consequence.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I guess it makes me think like in calling back to like, uh, my, my nerd credentials, right? Like I think in me, at least that's a, that's something I do habitually with everything. Like I can't, well, I don't know. Maybe there's a, a paradox in this, but I can't, off the top of my head, come up with some like some piece of media I consume, or something that I talk about, or something that like I interact with in the world that I don't end up like wanting to like, if not take seriously, like toy around with that does like that sticks with me. I guess. So actually, that's probably a great great question for the two of you. Like, do you find that? it's difficult for you to let things wash over you, generally speaking? Or is there something in the Big Bang Theory that, like, specifically calls out to be analyzed and not forgotten?
0: My, my friends tell me that I'm miserable and it's d- because <laughs> I can't turn that off either. And I always feel bad because I'm like, I do like things. Here are the things I like. like but there's nothing that I I will... I'm trying not to say enjoy because it's obviously not true but there's nothing I watch where I'm not just like I gotta figure out what's really going on there like like with the show I don't Kyle you
1: yeah I mean you guys know the answer to this (laughs) it's to me half of the experience of enjoying of something is basically replaying it in my head like that is a full at least 50 percent of the experience of something, whether I like it or dislike it. It's just like, I haven't really, it's, I'm the same way with music. I don't really can like, if I like a song, I will listen to it until I can play it in my head without actually having to turn it on. And only really when I get to that point, do I feel like I've actually like, I'm done with the song and pull it out of thin air and basically like sing all the words to it or hum the whole melody, like without error. And I think I'm basically the same way with, with movies and television that I like, which is if they, if I really enjoy them, then there's some sense in which I'm rewatching them long after I've stopped watching them. But as to your second question of whether I think the big bang theory especially calls out, no, I think I'm saying it's specifically the opposite. The big bang theory is begging to be forgotten. The second, the episodes are over. And in some sense, we're, we're, uh, what's the, what's we're pet cemeterying the show. Every time we, (laughs) the podcast, and in that sense, we are doing, we're getting what we deserve.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's probably a fair analysis. I wonder, like, the best that I could say about it, I guess, is that there's, it may call out to us specifically because it seems to be coming after, like, our type of people or our interests or something like that. Like, yeah. it, it's easy to watch this and take, well, yeah, like, as but the, the, the the episode that I was, uh, that I watched after listening to the podcast about it, like, I think for a certain sort of person, it is very easy to watch this, empathize with Sheldon, and be like, how can they leave him hanging like that? And then, from that, it's like, oh, well, now I, I have to make sense of this, or else, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, nothing makes sense, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah. I need a consistent worldview, and Sheldon is jamming it up! <sighs> <laughs> So, I would normally ask if there's any other substantive episode stuff or even retrospective stuff we should talk about. But who boy, I I'm thinking about how long we've been going now, and I think we need to transition. So, if there's anything extreme you want to get on the table, do it in these next five seconds. Otherwise, we're going into our nerd recommendations. I didn't final substantive thing. Oh, here we go.
2: Never give a lawyer five seconds i will take 15 The final substantive thing I want to say about it um, I thought the best interaction In the episode was the uh, Which bathroom did you use Confusion between Sheldon Mm. And Leonard as he sneaks back in I thought that that had real Potential it reminded me a lot of the uh, Steamed hams uh, (laughs) Scene from the Simpsons but, like, the, the laughter just got in the way of it, and it was... I don't, I don't think it's as funny a gag when you can't animate it. That's all. That's it. Okay. Well,
0: with that final little tidbit, I think uh, we can put this, this one back into the sour ground. I don't remember. How did they... Was, was the solution in the at least the first Pet Cemetery movie or the book... Could you just kill the kid again, or was it?
1: Yeah, I thought they just like shot him in the head or chopped. That him sounds up. right. I haven't,
2: I haven't, yeah, exactly. I he came I back, but he wasn't it, a zombie. Assume,
1: well, even even if they are a zombie, that's generally what you that do is still what you do. do. Yeah,
0: yeah. All right, so if, yeah. if,
1: if zombies could regenerate, it would be a much. I mean, they're already pretty fucking scary. But well, they they do like,
0: in um, neither the Living Dead. Wait, no, sorry, Return of the Living Dead. In that, there's no way to kill them, and but. Uh, I think that's the exception. I I think this one, this episode, let's shoot it in the head, cut the head off, and then burn the body. Yes. And see if we can't get away from it that way.
2: (laughs) So say we all.
1: So So say we all.
0: So say we all. All right. Third recommendation (laughs) time. Logan is guest. You get option to go first, second, or third. Totally up to you. I I will go third. All right. Kyle, I have one loaded. You want to go first or shall I?
1: Hit me. Hit me with your best shot, Nick.
0: All right. Uh, It's not a switcheroo if I announce it as a switcheroo. So I'm going to say that I bought, (laughs) day of release, the new Metroid game, Metroid Dread. Uh Ah, Dread. And uh, the switcheroo that's not a switcheroo because I announced it is that's not my recommendation. Um, I have gripes about Metroid Dread that I'm not going to get into because it is so new. Instead, I'm going to recommend... Uh, Super Metroid. Uh Aww. And I, I was hesitant to recommend it because it feels like such a crotchety old man thing to do. Like, you should play this real good game back from when I was a teenager. But I think it rides this line of doing exactly what Metroid did right before implementing uh, modern game design things that do reduce frustration, but I think ultimately make Metroid worse. And so, brief explanation for anyone who doesn't know what the hell Metroid is. Uh, it's a long franchise. You're this, this bounty hunter, Samus. I call her Aran. I guess it's canonically Aaron, even though I hate that. And every game is you're going to different planets, uh, hunting down or somehow involved with these uh, predatory super uh, beasts called Metroids. And so, like, the first game, you're sent to kill him, and you do. And then you bite, fight Mother Brain, who's the big boss. And then similar thing in the second game, but now the Metroids are mutated. Ah. And then the third game uh, is almost like a remake of the first game, just with a lot better game design and more expansive and everything like that. But I think what these games do really well, a little too well, especially in the first game is they don't explain much to you like you are a lone bounty hunter you were put in what is uh largely a, a foreign unknown unexplored environment and so they, you're not given direction because no one would get where to, where to like it's unmapped territory and part of the game is mapping out this big unexplored area uh, and the the things that have been left behind that are a little frustrating. Well, I well I guess the th- I say frustrating, but they leave behind <laughs> frustration um, because n- nobody likes getting stuck, and it's really nice to have ways to avoid that. And that's what the modern games do. But I feel like they've gone too far in the hand-holdy direction, where Super Metroid is like it removes a lot of. Barriers that were unnecessary from the first game. You have a little bitty idea of where to go. Your powers are a little bit better explained. You're not just groping around in the dark, but also uh, it's not you're not being given such a clear path forward that you're not actually exploring and like discovering things on your own. And um, I may mean, have talked about this on the show before, but I remember it, it reminded me of this probably clickbaity article from like years and years ago about how um, the third Zelda game Link's Awakening was the start of when Zelda got bad which sounds like a crazy thing to say because it's a great game but the argument which I agree with is that um, in that game you were given so many goals and so many steps to do that you're not exploring anymore you're basically given a shopping list and you're just going from location to location to get each item and they, I think, mm-hmm. they fixed that problem with Breath of the Wild, but I, I think that's what happened with Metroid, and I think it needs to go back towards the the less explained, more alien, and probably honestly more frustrating in some ways environment. Um, and so, yeah, uh, if you have any interest in the greater Metroidvania genre and want to play the the best OG one, I would go back to Super Metroid. Available through Nintendo devices or piracy. Um, (laughs) uh, Kyle, your turn.
1: All right, I'll try to keep mine relatively short. So I had heard this game, or I had heard this film recommended for a while. Um, I just hadn't gotten around to watching it. I finally watched the movie Shin Godzilla, which came out in 20... Why are you laughing, <laughs> Nick?
0: No, just because I remember you uh, writing on the Facebook about enjoying Shin Godzilla, and I'm just happy at your enjoyment is all.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's quite good. So the, uh, the premise of Shin Godzilla, which they've actually done this... I mean, I guess there have been a lot of Godzilla reboots at this point. So Shin Godzilla is basically another attempt to retell the events of the original Godzilla movie without any of the cultural context or without any of the canon of any of the other Godzilla movies. So it plays out basically identical to any other Godzilla movie that is the first of its particular line, which is, you know, to- people are hanging out in Tokyo. Oh, weird stuff starts to happen. Oh my God, there's this giant thing coming out of the water causing trouble for us. What is it? What's going on? What's interesting... um I mean there's a lot interesting about this movie and I don't want to get dragged down too much but uh I will say so this Godzilla which um, was co-written and created by two longtime anime writers and designers uh one of whom worked both on like Godzilla movies in the 90s and also Gamera the other of who is Hideaki Ano most famous for the uh Evangelion saga. And so the two of them (laughs) together create this. So if you ask yourself, well, what would it be like if the guy who created Evangelion worked on a Godzilla movie? The answer is quite interesting. Although I think the other guy has at least as much involvement in the whole process. So it's not fair to treat it like it's entirely Anno's work. But Godzilla in this film is terrifying, he's sort of slightly freakish. What's interesting in the way he's presented is that when you first meet him, he's actually quite, he's a little, he's very explicitly, and this has always been true of Godzilla, right? He's very explicitly a mutant, a thing that has evolved in an unnatural manner. So when you first meet him, he can't even walk on land yet. It's kind of goofy because he's just floppy. he, uh, he comes out of the water and then he's flopping around and rolling on top of the buildings because his legs aren't fully developed yet. And then slowly he evolves the power to walk upright and his eyes go from like these weird dead-eyed catfish eyes to the more ominous gaze that you associate with Godzilla and he gets taller and weirder and more radioactive. But you're slowly hmm. watching this thing escalate from something that, that basically you're watching. Uh, this creature evolved from what is essentially like this weird giant, if slightly calamitous curiosity into the monster that we all know of and think of as Godzilla. And it's very clear the whole time that Godzilla is not a malevolent entity. He's just a, he's just a creature that is fulfilled. It's not even clear that he's like angry or mad. He's just he, he seems to be in pain and he's just reacting to the pain he feels and to his own biological imperatives by like walking across Tokyo and leaving a, and occasionally falling asleep and leaving a trail of destruction in his wake. And it's really only when he's attacked by the military that he unleashes his full wrath which is one of the most, I mean, we've all seen Godzilla erupt in fire and, you know, bathe Tokyo in fire before but the way it's done in this movie, it is just one of the most cool and terrifying sequences you've ever seen. Like basically it starts with them dropping bombs on Godzilla and it ends with like him just bathing all of Tokyo in this ethereal fire that leaves, you know, thousands of people dead. And it's all like all of that. The portrayal of Godzilla is sort of this freakish mutation. At one point you get a close up of his tail and it looks like little baby Godzillas are slowly growing out of it like a starfish. It's all really freakish and weird, and I like it. And I like the way when he shoots his plasma breath, his jaw, like, cracks open, which is a very Evangelion way of animating Godzilla being a monster. The other thing, of course, that people have talked about that's really good is it's actually, it's almost like, and again, I think this is true of the original Godzilla as well, it's basically a science procedural. So, again, if you think about, like, Evangelion, how so much of every episode isn't, like, the monster fight. It's all of them sitting underground, like, analyzing the angel and trying to figure out, like, how do we categorize this one? What are its strengths and weaknesses? What countermeasures can we devise? This movie is just all of that. It's, like, from the minute Godzilla shows up, well, it's both a political and a scientific procedural in multiple parts. So we are treated both to a what appears to be a very realistic, if slightly satirical, satirical look at how, like, the parliamentary system and the bureaucratic systems of Japan would try to respond to a god to like an actual kaiju attack if kaiju attacks were not already like part of their whole identity. So just from square one, like how does the Prime Minister figure out whether or not it's ethical to bomb like a giant monster in the middle of their largest metropolitan city? You know. <laughs> it's 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 a very sort of realistic if darkly funny portrayal of all of that and then it's a portrayal of like the science of like this group of maverick like uh because originally the bureaucracy is too paralyzed and even the scientific ministry is too paralyzed by like bureaucracy and politics to properly document godzilla so they have to like create this whole new special task force and they're like analyzing traces of its Skin that it leaves behind on buildings to like cross reference its DNA and figure out if they can have weaknesses. And so at the end of the movie, instead of like in most of them where they build like a giant robot or they summon another giant monster, like in this one, they like basically come up with a chemical formula that should like beat Godzilla if they can just knock him down. So then they have to figure out how to like weaponize like the trains of Tokyo and shoot them at missiles at Godzilla so that he'll trip and fall so that they can use cranes to like drop this gunk on him. It's really, it's just all, it's, it's like delightful from beginning to end. And it is just like, if you have, you know, never seen like a, you know, it's just a great, it's a great Godzilla movie. It would make a great first Godzilla movie. I quite enjoyed every second of it. All right.
0: Shin Godzilla for second recommendation. Oh.
1: And the other thing I'm excited about is that the same team is making an Ultraman movie and a Kamen Rider movie in the same style. So I'm super excited to see their like straightforward, realistic and yet not super gritty takes on like the Ultraman and Masked Rider genres.
2: Well, Logan, it is your turn.
0: What shall you recommend?
2: Um, well, yeah, I, I've decided, uh, because Settlers of Catan featured in uh, this episode, to recommend a board game. The name of the game is Spirit Island. Uh, the the short and sweet explanation of it is that it is like Settlers of Catan, except cooperative, and you play as the island trying to repel the settlers. Um, it takes uh, you... Uh, you can play by yourself or uh, the base game up to four players or I think the maximum is six currently. You assign different spirits with different powers to everybody and over the course of the game, you try and wipe off these just increasingly aggressive uh, colonizers. It makes for a great bit of fun. It is, It's a blisteringly complicated game and sort of difficult... It requires a lot of like thinking through a bunch of complicated possibilities because you're you're never entirely sure what the invaders are going to do next. But I find it is incredibly satisfying uh, to be victorious at it, especially because it seems at just about every difficulty level, uh, uh, Spirit Island is really good at building to a critical point where. It's just palpable that either things are going to start going well, or like all is lost, and we should consider cutting our losses. Nearly every game I've played of it has that moment, and it's I, I think about as thrilling as you can get uh, in the world of non uh, tabletop RPG board games. So that's my recommendation.
0: Sweet. I feel like you just by including the the game as the recommendation out nerded. Are there nerd recommendations though? Kyle went a long way bringing in the the Ultraman and Master Rider references.
1: Yeah, I think they've done a good... It's nerdy... So, modern video games are not as good as old video games. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) Godzilla movies are good, but only when they are carefully reconstructed modernistic homages to the classic Godzilla movies. And, uh... And finally, yes. Here's a here's a board game that's better than settlers. <laughs> we knocked it out of the park yeah, for the... number one hundred. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and it's only I, I imagine this episode will be twice as long as usual, uh, which I'm sure is my fault. I apologize, but this was this was a splendid treat. Thank you both so much.
0: Well, no need to apologize. I'll just cut most of you out, uh, but it'll be yeah. fun. <laughs> Thank you very much for being here with us. Uh, is is lovely having you. And we never, I don't. We've we've gone all over with how to end these things. I don't know. Maybe I'll make a fart noise. Kyle, do you have any final words of wisdom you want to lay on the audience for our hundredth?
1: Yeah. How about a timely suck it, Zachary Quinto. <laughs>
0: What did, what did Sheldon say? Live, live long and suck it? Was that, that his was line? It. Live
1: long and suck it. Which is apparently our... It's, that could be our fate watching this podcast.
0: I think it's our new sign-off. Live long and suck it, everyone. <laughs> Excellent.